welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Hey, River Valley, I am super excited that this weekend we have a message from Nathan Finocchio. And you may not realize who he is, but at the end of this, you're going to love him. I guarantee it. My mom was at the all staff that he was at, and she said, I love this guy. Now, you're going to have to get past the fact that he's wearing a bucket hat and a twins chain, which... I dared him to wear for our all staff. And, uh, but you're going to get this. He's, he's like a wild man, but he's a brilliant theologian. And he came to our all staff and taught. Now, why did we bring him in? He runs a ministry called Theos U, which is a subscription-based uh, discipleship program. Many of our pastors subscribe to it. He's just brilliant. And we brought him in and he taught uh, about what is God like? And, and how we should worship God. And when he was done, I was like, the whole church needs to hear this. So we cut it down into message length and just made it so it would fit. It's a little bumpy in the beginning, but it smooths out towards the end. I want you to hear from him. I want you to receive from him. This is something for the whole church. It, our staff resonated with it. I believe you will too. And at the end of it, you'll get past the bucket hat and the twins chain. But welcome with me to River Valley Church, Nathan Finocchio. Twin Cities, baby represent oh my gosh I picked this up at the game yesterday I'm pretty stoked about it my wife's not gonna get it but she doesn't get it so three things that I want to do um, firstly I want to talk about um, a paradox, a theological paradox, because there's, there's a bunch of paradoxes in Scripture, and paradoxes are where there's two truths, and you kind of have to just let both of these seemingly contradictory truths live. Okay? Like, I've been watching a lot of young people kind of deconstruct, and when they're three, they can understand that their parents love them and will hit them in the butt. But when they're 21, it's like, God is only love. And he never, that's all he is. He, God is my, he's obsessed with me. And he is such a desperate boyfriend. And he's always slipping into my DMs. And it's like, back off. Right? God is not Enrique Iglesias. You know, you, you can run, you can hide, but you can't escape my love, right? He's not a stalker. <laughs> Number two, I want to look at some, some hard verses this morning um, because I think it's good every now and then to look at some hard passages of Scripture and let them round out some of our doctrines that have become maybe a little bit too narrow. Okay? Uh, and then number three, um, I, I want to read some stories. Not every story in the Bible is prescriptive, some of them are just descriptive. They're, they're just describing something that happened. You know, like, for example, Cain and Abel, which we'll, we'll read in a second. Like, that's not prescribing, hey, kill your brother. 
It's just describing an event that happened, right? But sometimes when those stories continue and they continue and they continue and then they terminate in clear apostolic teaching, there's something to that story that a Christian should be like, oh, yeah, we should learn a lesson from that. Is that okay? So that's what we're going to be doing today. Okay. Uh, first verse, John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. This is Jesus talking. Wayne Grudem says, when Jesus says God is, like, what does God is spirit mean? Does it mean that he's not made of, that he's just a bodiless wraith? Uh, God has some, he possesses some sort of corporality uh, or substance. Uh, what the church fathers said, the fathers on Holy Spirit, they're made of the same substance. So they're made of something. Uh, it's just not the stuff that you and I are made of. So Wayne Grudem calls that spirit thing uh, qualitatively other. God is qualitatively other, and that's what Jesus is trying to say here. God is spirit, but those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So yeah, you can get like, yeah, there's this spiritual connection that connects to the qualitatively other, like there's spirit in me, there's something in me, you know, deep calls unto deep. There's an eternal part of me that you know, I call them impressions. We get these impressions of God. We, we sense his presence, you know, like, and we sense that the, the, the qualitatively other God who's not made of this stuff is somehow imprinting himself on me in this moment. We have these spiritual experiences and Jesus is saying, that's really cool, but you need to worship him in spirit and in truth. Revelation 4, 8, uh, you got the four living creatures, each of them with six wings. Some of them fly faster than others, obviously. It's like, yeah, I have six wings, so. Um, and they have, they're full of eyes all around and within. Um, basically, these, these, you know, it's like a, a GoPro. They have like a thousand GoPros on them. And their job, the reason why they have the wings and they have the eyes is basically to just get 360 aerial views of God. And day and night, they, they sing the song that never ends. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They're doing it right now. They just fly around and they're just looking at him, just staring at him. And, and the, the only word, the only descriptor that comes to mind when they are the closest to God of anybody and getting the full 360 is holy, 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 one for each of the Trinity, right? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And, and this is where I'm going to push back, and I want to just create, you know, the, that paradoxical theology. They don't sing love, love, love. They sing holy, holy, holy. We see this in Isaiah as well. It's the same song. Right? Love, love, love is the other fab four. This is, a, this is, this is, this is the, the, what is the word, what is the one, it's Holy. The one word. So God is called holy over 400 times in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. He's called love twice. In the same, in the same verse. The same passage, rather, 1 John 4. Now, I don't know what you, but it feels like, particularly in my generation, that the reverse is true. That in the Bible, God is called love over 400 times, and he's only called holy twice. 
That's what it feels like in a lot of our songs written by my generation. In a lot of the sermons that are preached by kids my age and younger. Our theological emphases, all of the conversations that are happening in seminaries and colleges, it's, everything is about God's love. It's in this very narrow lens. And I say narrow because it's not the whole picture. A lot of the theologies that are kind of coming out, that are tickling a lot of people's ears. It's all about how God is the desperate boyfriend. It's, a, it's even a corruption. It's a heresy of God's love. But God is first holy. God's holiness has to do with his absolute moral perfection. A lot of it has to do with his being a perfect judge. Right? Like, God is a perfect judge. He, he does the right thing all the time. He knows all things. And everything he does is totally perfect. He doesn't do anything that's not good. And he's so committed to his holiness that he will suffer for it. That's the story of Scripture. The story of Scripture is a holy God who, his, his love is a holy love. His love flows from his holiness and not the other way around. And the reason why he'll, he'll die on the cross is ultimately for his holiness and his love. It's this paradox. Now, God is love, 1 John 4, 8. And it's fantastic. Anyone who does not love, you know, just like how holiness is something that, you know, you gotta be holy. You know, Peter talks about that. Anyone, and John's saying, totally, you gotta be holy. And anyone who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. And absolutely God is love. And, and I'm not saying that God is not love. I'm just saying, I think that there's a theological imbalance in my generation. Now, at the cross, we see this great paradox, right? And we see this collision of God's holiness. He, he suffers for his holiness. Now, he's a holy God who wants to be in relationship with his people because he's loving and holiness has to do with him always choosing the right thing. So of course he's holy or of course he's loving because he's first holy. He's going to love because he's holy. Holy people love, right? And so, so he's, I love you, but I can't be in a relationship with you because you got problems and I'm a holy God and I'm so committed to my holiness that I will cleanse you, clean you, clean you up, deal with this sin issue by dying and suffering. And this is this great paradox of Christianity, what Christopher Hitchens called the moral rot of Christianity, where God deals with sin. I see who God is at the cross because he suffers for his holiness and he suffers for his love. That's who he is. That's a paradox. And it needs to be held in tension. I gotta, I gotta worship him in spirit and in truth. And when people see and they understand the holiness of God, that, well, I have sin, and sin had to be dealt with, but God so loved the world that he sent his son, and wow, yeah, but if I reject him, the wrath of God remains on me. Why? Because there's a sin issue. There's a holiness issue. That actually frees people. Okay. Let's read some stories. Let's start with uh, Genesis 4. 
I'm just going to throw them up there and we're going to zip through them. Y'all probably know this one course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Uh, Abel brought the firstborn and the fat portions. That's ancient Near Eastern speak for the, the yummy stuff. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering because Abel, Abel cared, you know, but for Cain, he had no regard because Cain's like, here's a bruised banana and an orange I don't care about. <laughs> right? So Cain's all sad. <laughs> and essentially, I, I call people like Cain Christian Buddhists. A Christian Buddhist is somebody who wants to have a spirituality on their own terms. They don't care about what God wants. They just want to worship how they want to worship, but then they expect the result to be awesome. Wow. Right? So they, they, they come to church and they're like, you know, I have yoga on Mondays and I'm a vegan and on Saturdays I have pottery class and Sundays I go to church and I just really like the songs. It's kind of vibey. And there's some things that I don't agree with, but some of the things I do and I just feel really motivated and Jesus loves me and so I just feel better, right? That's a Christian Buddhist. There's no cross, right? There's no sin. They don't see themselves in Scripture. They see people that they're annoyed with in Scripture, right? Um, and, and they use Scripture for their own means, and they, you know, same thing as the Thomas Jefferson approach, whatever. So here we have Cain. He's the first Christian Buddhist, um, and the Lord says to Cain, why are you sad, little Christian Buddhist? My, um, because <laughs> they get sad. It's all about their feelings, right? Um, my niece, Georgie, she's, uh, she's four, and uh, Frankie is seven, and Frankie looks like she's from Florida. She looks like the daughter of Joe Dirt. She's, she's got like a mullet. She's always wearing spandex because she's going to roundhouse kick you. Um, Georgie is four, and she's a girly girl, and she loves dresses. And every morning she wakes up, and she puts on a dress, and she'll stand in front of a mirror, and she'll go. And if the dress swirls, she'll leave it on. But if it doesn't swirl to her liking that day, she'll take it off, she'll put on another dress, and then just continue until it swirls enough. And she wears, she wears costumes, you know, like dress costumes, like the, you know, the ones you get at Walmart for like 20 bucks, or like Elsa or whatever. And, and um, anyways, uh, I was FaceTiming my mom. My mom, um, my mom and my sister were, were uh, thrift, thrifting and finding Georgie dresses because my mom is an amazing seamstress. And um, so they're FaceTiming, and they got this new dress for Georgie, and, and they had, all the material was bunched up because the dress was too long, and so all the needles are at, you know, at the bottom, it's all bunched up, and so they're all finished, and they're like, okay, Georgie, spin around for Uncle Nate, show him, show him, spin around, spin around. So she tries to spin, but the dress wouldn't swirl because there's all that, all that fabric that's all bunched up, and so she began to ball her eyes out. Um, and they were like, quick, get it off of hers, and pull the dress off, put on a, a swirly dress, stop crying right away. And, you know, it just reminded me of Cain, the Christian Buddhist, you know, where it's like, if, if it doesn't swirl, if life doesn't swirl, if God doesn't make things swirl in my life, you know, then you start to freak out, you get sad, you start crying, oh, quick, quick, get that doctrine off of her. Oh, get that verse off of you. I know, it makes you feel so uncomfortable. And, people, and then we wonder why people stay spiritual babies. 
Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Moving along, Nathan. The Lord says to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Right? Like, like if you worship in spirit and in truth, your offering is going to be accepted. If you don't do well, sin is going to dominate you. That's, that is what was really at stake in worship. If you don't worship well, it's not going to end well. And worshiping well isn't just going through the motions. It's understanding why you're even here in the first place. This desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. He's still upset. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And, uh, you know, Cain's failure at the altar created the death in the field. So first worship service in the Bible and a dude dies. Okay, let's keep going. It gets worse. Next passage, you have Leviticus 10. And Nadab and Abihu, they're two sons of Aaron. And they, same thing. It's their first day on the job. And they just worship God however they want. They take strange fire into their censer. And God's just like, that's not going to work. And he kills them. Because you, you can't, you don't, you don't get to worship God however you want. And God had outlined, this is how I, you're a priest, dude. Are you kidding me? This is your first day on the job. This, I'm not going to let this go. Right. Next passage. This is David. I mean, David is like the man. He's like awesome at worship. And he's celebrating, and they got the songs and lyres, and they got the heart, the whole band, tambourines, castanets are okay. Cymbals are better. <laughs> and... They come to the threshing floor, and Uzzah is a priest, by the way. And Uzzah had this great idea of putting the ark in the back of a Ford F-150 truck. <laughs> it's an old, right, F-150. And God's like, dude, I'm a king. So I want you to carry me and give me the amount of respect the way that you'd carry other kings. So the, the Levites, the priests, they're, back in the day, priests would do a lot of the the taking care of the kings. In Egypt, we see the same thing. The priesthood, you know, really took care of the, the kings, etc. And so the priests are going to carry me. Well, Uzzah's like, let's just put her, strap her down in the back there on an old cart. And so uh, Uzzah put out his hand, you know, to, to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The F-150 blew a, a back tire. And it's the ark of the covenant. Like, it's, it's overlaid in gold. You should... I wouldn't put a TV that I cared about in the back of a truck. But Uzzah somehow thinks it's okay to put God in a golden box in the back of a truck. You know, it's like, dude, no. So the, 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 the oxen stumble, and God's like, oh, and Uzzah's like, oh, and God's like, oh, and, uh, and then he touches it, and God's like, you're dead for that. Like, are you kidding me right now, dude? I'm, I am God. I've told you this a thousand times. Why are you treating me like this? Worship me in truth. I'm not asking for a lot. Just worship me. The, give, show some honor. Show that you know me. And you care about the things that I care about at least. I'm not looking for perfection. I'm just asking you to carry me for crying out loud. If you just, if you just respect honor me and respect me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of you. I won't put the diseases that I put on the Egyptians on you. When you have me, you're going to win all your battles. I'm not asking for a lot. Just show some respect for crying out loud. 
So he died there beside the ark. And so in a parallel passage, First uh, uh, Corinthians or Corinthians Chronicles 15, David summons Zadok and Abiathar and the whole homeschooler convention. <laughs> and he says to them, you're the heads, that's horrible. Nathan, no. You are the heads of the fathers' houses, the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord. This is after, this is, this is sometime after this, this Uzzah died. And he says, you know, bring up the ark of the Lord to the place that I prepared for it, uh, because you did not carry him the first time, or carry it the first time. The Lord our God broke against us, because we did not seek him according to the rule. Um, so the priests... They consecrated themselves, and the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders as Moses had commanded them according to the word of the Lord. So this time, they seek God in the proper way. And it's in this context that David is going to dance before the... Remember, David dances before the Lord, and, and he's in his underwear. You know, he's just dancing as hard as he can, and his wife is just like, you're disgusting. And he's like, I, I'm not, I don't care about you. I'm, I care about the Lord. I want to honor him. We see this beautiful expression of spirit and truth. Pretty cool stuff. Michael, who looks on, um, remains barren for the rest of her life because she makes fun of it, right? So we see a death at the altar there. Uh, let's keep going. Uh, Uzziah. Uzziah is not to be confused with Uzzah. He's a king. Long story short, without going through the, the passages, he enters into the temple when he is proud and they're like, dude, don't be, you're not supposed to be here. Stay in your lane. You're a king. You're not a priest. And he's like, no, I'm special and I can worship whoever I want. And God's just like, nope. And then he hits him with leprosy and the guy dies. Another death at the altar. Now, we've been reading a lot of Old Testament and some of you might be going, well, I don't worship Old Testament God. He's a little bit mean, Right? And theologically, you have this view of God where like Old Testament God is like, you know, it's good cop, bad cop. So like he's like the bad cop and, you know, you're in there and God the Father comes in and he just hits you with a phone book. You know what I mean? And he's like beating on you and then Jesus comes in, saves you from him, gives you a cigarette. You're like... Thank you. He is horrible. I know I did it. I did. I stole the thing. You know, like. <laughs> the problem is, is this keep ha is keeps happening in the New Testament. Acts chapter five. I'm not even going to read all of it, but Ananias and Sapphira, need I say more? Most scholars believe that these are Christians. They lied to the Holy Spirit. How do you lie to the Holy Spirit if you're not a Christian? You don't have a relationship with him. Right? And, so, and this is at a worship service. They're bringing money. They're offering. It's, it's, it's Genesis 4. And they're, but they're trying to use it as a, as a, as a social gain. And it's, God's just like, yeah, I'm not going to be mocked. You know? And so they die at a worship service. And then finally, in, in 1 Corinthians um, 10, you know, Paul calls the, the cup the cup of blessing um, because it's a participation in the blood, in the, in the blood of Christ. It's, it's, a, it's a cup of blessing. When it's not just a mid-service snack, and, and I don't believe it's just an emblem to remember. It's a cup of blessing. There's something powerful in it. There, remember that, that old song? There's wonder-working power in the blood. So when we 
when we take that cup, I'm not teaching transubstantiation here, but I'm teaching consubstantiation where Christ's presence is here. And when we eat, we're mystically eating grace and drinking grace into our life. You hearing me? It's the power of God, right? Um, So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's just like, when you guys come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. Uh, Because for an eating, each one, the church used to be a potluck back in the day. The rich people would bring all the food. Poor people obviously didn't have anything. But what's happening in Corinth is the rich are eating all the potluck, and then there's nothing left for the poor. So for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. So this dude hasn't eaten for a couple days. This dude's singing 99 bottles of beer on the wall, right? And Paul's like, what? You know, do you not have houses to eat and drink your Super Bowl, you know, meal at? Uh, Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of, of the Lord. Let a person... Uh, examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Uh, That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. It keeps happening. Now, what does it mean to eat at the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner? Well, contextually, what it means is What's happening? Because at the end of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul's going to say, therefore, brothers, wait for one another. So what, so, and then it's, so it's bookended by this idea that people are coming to church, gorging themselves, and they don't care about anybody else. So what, once again, so what's, the question is, what does it contextually mean to eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner? It's when you make church and spirituality all about yourself. all about you and it's not about him and his it's christian buddhism i'm on my journey yes we're all on a journey but dude the scriptures are the scriptures and when you come to something that you don't like assume that you're wrong and the scriptures are right you're not god he's he's smarter than you He's, he's more merciful than you. He's more loving than you. He's wiser. And he's holy. He's a king. He's not a desperate boyfriend. Yes, he loves you, but he's a king. And, he's, and, and he cares about sin. So much so that he died. And yes, his grace is sufficient and his grace will empower you to live a holy life. And yes, all of us make mistakes and we continue to make mistakes and his mercy and his grace is, there's, there's, I mean, read Psalm 103. You know, as far as the east is from the west, as we were singing, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. What a good God that we serve. You know, he's merciful and he's kind and he's, he's wonderful, but he's holy and he's a king. And so when we come to church, we can't make it all about ourselves and then cut things of the Bible that we don't like or say things about him that aren't true. You know, in the year that Uzziah died, the king that I I, I talked about that that stormed into the temple and he presumed, assumed, and speculated upon the grace of God. In that year, Isaiah, a young 17-year-old man, saw the Lord and he peed in his pants. That's the Nathan Finocchio version. (laughs) 
he saw the Lord and he was terrified, dude. Right? Do you remember that? In the year, it's not by chance that it was the year that Uzziah died and the kind of death that he died where he just, oh, I'm awesome. I can do whatever I want. Isaiah sees the Lord in that year and he pees a little. I'm not, I should not be here. I'm a potty mouth and I have roommates that are potty mouths. His reaction to the presence of God was the absolute opposite of Uzziah's, right? Where Uzziah is just presuming, right? Isaiah is going, God, I'm not worthy. And God's like, I love that posture. That posture where you see me and, and, and he, 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 he hears the song. Remember Isaiah hears the song? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he's like, ah. And then God's like, I can clean people like that. When you show humility and some self-consciousness according to the word of God, right? God's like, I've got all day for you. Right? And the coal comes and it cleanses him. I think that the mercy of God, you know, Peter talks about it, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Right? How, do, how do I get grace? Humble yourself before his word. So how, how do we come to church? I'm going to end it here. How, how do we, well, what do we do? So the title of this talk isn't Sometimes God Kills People, okay? For starters. But I'm just saying, let this temper your theology a little bit. I think there are people who are spiritually ill in our churches. Maybe there are some people who have been eating at the table of the Lord in an unruly manner and, and it's it's really has made them say, I mean, scripture here. But we're talking about people who, they're making it all, it's, they don't care about scripture. They don't care about Jesus. This is an unhealthy way. This is not a good way to serve God. The safe way to serve God, the life-giving way where the cup of, where you're drinking the cup of blessing, because see, church is, is the, supposed to be a place where there's blessing. I'm, I have all day for church songs about blessing. For people who are going, God, I, I am not worthy. In the Catholic Mass, if any ex-Catholics here? Okay, do you remember in the, in the, in the Mass? It, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter my home. Only say the word and your servant will be healed. That's, how, that's what Catholics say collectively before they receive communion. It's just this beautiful posture of, God, I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve to be here. But Lord, come in and you say the word and your servant will be healed. When we come to church, there has to be that old school fear of God. Where it's, it's, it's now, I had this last verse, Hebrews 12, and the end of Hebrews 12, 29, it just says that our God is a consuming fire, right? And he says, let's offer up to God acceptable worship, right? Like worship that he's asked for with reverence and in awe, Right? Like, okay, God, you're a king, you're holy, for our God is a consuming fire. That's meant to, to it's like, um, uh, so in California where I, li where I lived, uh, we didn't have uh, fires because it's illegal. But in Canada, where I'm from, from we, we, we do bonfires all the time. Do you guys do bonfires? In okay. okay, so dude, in Canada, bonfires are life. Okay, like we love bonfires. We are all about bonfires. You get to smell like smoke for a week. You know, it's hot dogs, and it's s'mores, and you're with your friends, and you're hanging out, and it's just the best. And never once in my life have I been invited to a bonfire, and I was scared to go. 
because I respect and I reverence and I awe fire. Right, like now, there was guys in my high school, they'd like drink like a thousand beers, build a huge bonfire and like jump through it every weekend. They'd show up to school on a Monday, like missing part of their jacket, their hair's missing. It's like, dude, we got the best weekend ever, dude. You know, it's like, doesn't look like it. You have third degree burns everywhere. That's not safe, you know? So church should be this, it should be like a bonfire where because you so reverence and awe, you have the best time ever. It's a paradox. I never think God could kill me at this service because I reverence and awe the Lord imperfectly. But there's reverence and there's awe and there's fear there. God, you are, you are so good. I brought, my tithe, I brought the good things that you've asked for and I'm, I'm worshiping in spirit and truth. And Lord, I thank you that you're not looking for perfection, but you're looking for a pulse. And here it is. My heart is beating for you today. And God, I, I just want to worship you truly. And I want to know you accurately today, God. And, and I, I appear before you. And Lord, let your word be true. And every man a liar. And, and God, I, you know, I'm here, to, I'm here to receive. I'm a sinner. And God, I need the cup of blessing today. And I, I need this worship. And I need this word, God, because I'm so dependent on you. And there's no life outside of you. That kind of posture brings the blessing of God. But a, a posture where we just, you know, that God is Enrique Iglesias and he's, you can run, you can hide, you can't escape. That's not helping anybody. And that's all I have to say about that. <laughs>